Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org slash restore for tickets and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to tell you about a new book from Faith Matters Publishing. It's called Restoration by Patrick Mason. Um, When we started the Faith Matters Publishing Project, one of our goals was to explore what restoration really means as the church moves into its third century, and that's exactly what Patrick does. If you're like me and you've ever wondered how restoring Israel can be relevant to you, you've got to read this book. Patrick shows how, as members of the church, it's our mission to truly lead out in bringing wholeness and healing to the marginalized and the vulnerable. This book absolutely lit a fire for me, and it has totally changed the way I view my own engagement with the church and with the world. I really can't recommend this book strongly enough. It's the kind of book you want everyone you know to be reading too, so that you can talk about it. So you can pick up a copy for yourself or for your friends and family at Desert Book, um, Amazon, Audible, and Apple Books. Okay, that's it on the book for now, but we'll be sharing a lot more in the near future. Thanks as always, and here's the episode. Hi, and welcome to the Faith Matters Podcast. This is Tim Chavez. In this episode, we speak with Thomas McConkie, founder of the Lower Light School of Wisdom and author of the book, Navigating Mormon Faith Crisis. When Thomas came on our podcast for a conversation with Bill Turnbull last year, they touched on the subject of prayer and how for Thomas, prayer, mindfulness, and meditation are all very closely related. Ever since we heard that conversation, Aubrey and I have both been trying to make our own prayers more contemplative, and it's really helped us get more out of that practice. Because of that experience, we thought we needed to get Thomas back to explore the subject of prayer even further. Thomas approaches this topic very thoughtfully and with a lot of humility. Aubrey and I both personally got a lot out of it. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Faith Matters podcast. I'm Tim Chavez, and I'm here with my wife, Aubrey. Uh, We are honored to be joined today by Thomas McConkie. Um, Just by way of introduction, Thomas is the author of the book Navigating Mormon Faith Crisis, A Simple Developmental Map, and he is the founder of the Lower Light School of Wisdom. Um, He's been practicing mindfulness and other meditative techniques for 20 years and studying their effects on human potential. Um, Thomas, uh, you may know this, has been on our podcast before. He actually did a a seven-part deep dive uh, series with Faith Matters founder Bill Turnbull which was one of the, my personal favorite things that Faith Matters has ever released. And if you're interested in that, where they go very deep on um, all things Thomas and all things mindfulness and uh, many different aspects of Thomas's faith and the gospel, um, you can find that earlier on in our, in our podcast. You can look at the episodes that were published on March 26th of this year or of 2019, and you'll, you'll find them there. So thank you, Thomas, so much for, for getting on with us today. Happy to be here with you too. Thank you. So I think probably a lot of our listeners are familiar with the the begin like your origin story, the Thomas McConkie origin story, uh, and uh, we know about that the day that I think how old were you? Thirteen when you said I can't do this anymore and decided to stop going to church, and that yeah. was sort of the beginning of this this um, faith journey. So we we were hoping maybe you could pick up after high school and you've um, at that point sort of disassociated yourself from the faith of your childhood and, and you start exploring other ways to connect to God or connect to some source. You, you're feeling empty and you need something and you um, 
you turn to mindfulness. And so would you talk about just your first experiences with that and just how, how you got there and, and, and then where it took you? Sure. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love the uh, notion of having an origin story. It makes me feel like an X-Man. So <laughs> sweet. We're off to a really good start so far. Um, you, you can steer me here for better or for worse. When you asked that question, I had an image kind of flash across my mind. Um, when I was, I just turned 19 years old, I realized that uh, I probably wasn't going on a mission. You know, I mean, I, I was of the mindset that, well, you never know, but I felt pretty confident, like it just doesn't feel like the winds of my life are blowing me in that direction. And it, I could also tell that that was going to be very problematic for my family and, you know, mm. the environment I'd grown up in. So I just kind of disappeared into the night one evening and showed up in Southern California and just decided I'm not going to tell anybody where I went and I'm not going back. Um, yeah. I'm going to skip around here, but here are the two images that came to me. I'd been in California just a matter of days when I was boogie boarding at Laguna Beach and I got picked up by a really big wave and just smacked like right on the floor of the ocean and it fractured my scapula. So if you imagine like there was enough force of the wave to actually break my scapula. Oh my gosh, um, and I remember just kind of crawling out of the ocean, wanting to throw up and just being happy to be alive. And here I was, you know, like a 19 year old feeling like I had no home left to call home. I'm in this, you know, like new place in the world and I'm broken and I have to get a job and, you know, start making ends meet. So that was something that came up when you were like, so like origin story, what happened around age 19, 20? I'm like, oh, well, I almost died. And then there, so flash, uh, fast forward a few months and I found an apartment in Long Beach, California, which is, you know, several miles up the coast. And my roommate at the time, you know, made friends with a guy at the local watering hole who actually had a crack habit. So this was interesting. There's a guy, I, now I'm in some rough part of like outer LA. My shoulders kind of healed and I have a few bucks in my pocket. So I'm not in panic mode, but I'm definitely not stable, secure. Um, there's a guy who like comes by our house a few times a week to spark up on our patio and smoke crack. And that happened to be the place where I also meditated because I, you know, I was really at this point, 19 years old, um, was a pretty diligent meditator and it had become a spiritual lifeline for me. And the, the patio, uh, it, if, without getting into too much detail, it was on a really busy street. So lots of cars whizzing by. There was just a thin wall that separated us from traffic. And like the gravel they'd poured into the concrete was really sharp and jagged. So it was very uncomfortable to sit on. It was a difficult place. So um, think like main thoroughfare in LA <laughs> slash like crack den slash like sharp stones like poking into your ankle bones it's really uncomfortable and yet and yet here's hopefully this story redeems itself but i remember just out of the blue one day i was sitting and i was in a lot of physical pain and i was in a lot of emotional pain and out of nowhere with with no kind of warning sign everything just subsided like all the pain, all the jagged edges of the entire world, they just completely smoothed out. And I just felt like I was illuminated from the inside out by this almost unbearable love. Wow. 
And at that point, it, it was really a learning moment for me because my life was quite rough at age 19. Um, I wasn't living in a safe neighborhood. I didn't have like much of a steady stream of income. I felt just emotionally devastated by the falling out I'd had with my family and the church. And yet here was this just unflinching grace in my life as if to say like it doesn't matter where you go i'm i'm right here with you lighting the path mm. and you're holy to me oh. and it, it really gave me confidence to it's like well you know conditions i hope hope conditions don't get worse than this but if they do i have a sense of how i might meet even worse conditions so that was that was a big moment for me on the path of meditation on the path of prayer wow and yeah. was that a feeling that was familiar to to you did it remind you of your past or this was a new experience both you know i mean we're always there's a continuity in all of our growth and development our spiritual lives it's in a sense it's our previous spiritual experiences that create the foundation for the next breakthrough Right. So in a oh, sense, yeah. you know, there was something continuous about it. And yet there was a brand new quality to it. It was so dramatic in terms of like the environment I was in and how desperate I felt and how deep the grace was that met that desperation. So it was both. It was it was old and it was new. <laughs> wow. I, get, I get that. I love that. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So, well, I love that you say that. I mean, the thing about these stories is like the details of our lives are different, but I, I think the underlying realities mm -hmm. is one and the same. So of course, like when I resonate this language, like it speaks to the part of you that has experienced the same thing in your own personal life. So, yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. like, I'm curious if, if you, if you feel like in that experience that you were doing some active sort of reaching out externally or were you, simply you know being present and that that external i assume you consider it to be somewhat a somewhat external you know divine force reached reached out to you yeah well i i hope not to wear out this stockpile answer but i think it was both in the sense that i had actively kind of created a prayer room you know in my living space and i went there every day for a certain amount of time as if to say like here I am, God, I'm available. Yeah. But, you know, we, at that point, we can't force anything to happen. We can let something happen. I think we mm -hmm. can be willing for something to happen, but we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. You know, that's, and that's, that's really been the case with, with me too. And obviously my uh, faith journey has been wildly different than yours, but even in those, even in those cases where I've been, you know, actively, uh, you know, seeking for an answer to some sort of prayer, it very rarely has seemed to come in that very moment, you know, it may come, and it seems like it's, it's days or weeks or sometimes years later where I can go back and sort of connect the dots and say my seeking led to this receiving in, in some, in some form or fashion, but it's rarely, it's rarely just right there, you know, it's rarely just a simple telephone call or, or text message back and forth, you know. Yeah, yeah. One of my friends used to say, uh, God is not a cosmic vending machine. Yeah. Where we, we put in our coins and we get out the, you know, the response to our prayer that we paid good money for it. You know, it kind of comes when it comes and there's an art to waiting, you know, to, mm. to watching. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So 
so do you feel like I, I, I just keep thinking about what you said about that this was a progression and you you get to this point where you're ready for the next thing. Do you feel like there was a it was a period of unlearning, you know, where you were like, like I think most people describe um, a crisis of faith or a transition of faith as sort of a deconstruction of what you've learned. But yeah. looking back, do you feel like this was you were you really were building on on this foundation you had as a kid or are there things that you were taking apart and starting over and replacing? Yeah, that's a complex question. Um, on the simple side of things, absolutely there is a deconstruction going on. You know, there, I, I think to some extent all human beings are full of wrong ideas and the developmental process is one of, you know, letting go of those wrong ideas and replacing them with slightly more appropriate or functional or accurate beliefs. That's one way to think about the developmental journey. And yeah, I was full of a lot of bad ideas at 19. I'm you know, twice that age now and I'm you know, still full of a lot of bad ideas. So yeah, a lot of my coming into, I'll just refer to it as a prayer practice. Um, I feel really comfortable with that language, but it was, it was becoming more and more conscious of what you're pointing to, Aubrey, just like a need to let go of my ideas. Um, that's, that's been a bright line for me just in my spiritual life, recognizing that um, it happens so quickly and so unconsciously that I, I think what I'm thinking about the world is actually the way the world is. Yeah. And, you know, in a given moment, when I can experience this moment a little more nakedly, a little more open-heartedly without you know, my mental models of the world between me and reality, those tend to be incredibly aesthetic and spirit-filled moments. Um, and prayer is maybe a way that we lay ourselves bare. Yeah. Now, I, um, in terms of the way that I've thought about prayer throughout my life, I think the, the very first thing I learned, and actually, this is the way we taught it when I, when I went on a mission, this is, this is how we, we taught it to investigators. It was, you know, open by addressing Heavenly Father, and then you say what you're grateful for, and then you ask for what you want and make sure you got to get those in the right answer. Thankful first, ask for what you want after, and then, you know, close in the name of Jesus Christ, and, and that's, a, that's a prayer. And I think I'm not uh, throwing that under the bus by any means, because I think we have to start somewhere. Um, but is that, uh, I'm curious, Thomas, if that was your experience, you know, prior to age 13 when you were still attending church did you hear the same things that I was that I was hearing and how does that compare or, or that idea of a little bit of a ritualistic prayer compare and contrast with with the way that you pray now yes I I did have similar instruction as you did you know when I was young and I smile right now because you know I'm 39 now um, I still pray that way often not always though maybe you know when i was 12 maybe i almost always prayed that way yeah. and now um maybe like a poet might kind of shift between different meters and forms you know there's a sonnet and then there's the wild walt whitman open verse and there are different kinds of poetry that have different kinds of effects um and i i appreciate being able to shift across poetic forms in prayer life you might say mm. What I, I'm curious, what specifically you um, you feel like is valuable about that type of petitionary prayer? 
Yeah. Well, so I, I feel my anxiety building. And so I need to say something just so I can relax as we talk about this. <laughs> um, we're having a conversation about prayer and, you know, you two are good enough to invite me on to share my views on prayer. Uh, but I don't really know what prayer is, right? Maybe you and everybody already knows this, but I just want to name it that, you know, I have, I have ideas, some more wrong than others about what prayer is and I'm, and I'm learning what prayer is. So I really take this as kind of an open-ended um, yeah, exploration yeah. of what prayer might be. So yeah. Ah, yeah, I feel better, I feel better already. Um, so back to your question, you know, the benefit of petitionary prayer, I've just noticed um, maybe, maybe I can chuck us into the deep end a little bit here. Uh, mm. One of my preferred modes of prayer is uh, what in the Zen tradition would be called sitting as openness. And even if you have no Zen training, just to hear those words, I think it would evoke something in all of us like sitting in openness. Okay, sitting as openness. Yeah, we all have a sense of what it's like to just be still and open and receptive. Um, I love that form of prayer because it, it brings all of the activity of my body, mind, heart to, you know, a whisper and even, you know, quieter than a whisper sometimes. And in those moments, I feel uh, most intimate with the divine. And that's incredibly powerful and restorative to me and it it gives me profound faith and hope uh, to live this life and to just trust in the basic goodness of life itself and, and God's presence in all things and yet if I just hang out as openness all day if I just hang out as formlessness all day there's no form to that like at some point yeah. I need to get up off my cushion or off you know like you know the prayer the chair that I pray in and do something with my life, express something, hopefully let the spirit express something through me. Um, in other words, petitionary prayer to me is a really powerful movement in the direction of um, channeling spirit through my unique heart's desires and my own talents and mm. my own gifts. And petitionary prayer, I think we could call, I don't think it's a stretch to call it a celebration of the unique self right? Because every prayer is oh. unique to an individual. And like the, the prayer in your heart can only be prayed to a living God by you and through you. Wow. And my sense is that God feels great pleasure and joy when we bring that prayer into form. That expression. Yeah. I, yeah. I really love that. I love that <laughs> great answer. That's a really good answer. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I, I love, I love mindfulness plus. And I think you were the first person who really introduced me to this idea of this openness and trust in life and, and just yeah. this radical acceptance. And that, that really led to lots of exploration in that area. And, and the thing that I, that I felt always confused by though, was when you are resisting something, you know, when there's something that feels like it, it's causing suffering and I want to pray it away, you know, that's my, that's what feels so natural is I want to pray and believe that God will change this for me. And so could you talk about that tension and, and when do you accept and, and when do you believe that God could change? Cause I think that's why I struggle with petitionary prayer. Now it was becoming this 
nightly list of anxieties that I wanted God to take away. And, and I feel so much more inner peace by just saying, I just accept them. I accept this uncertainty. I accept all of these things I don't know. Like that gave me so much more peace than like begging and resisting and hoping that God would change it all. Yeah. Yeah, you, you guys are really going for it in this conversation. <laughs> these, are, these are big. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have some feelings about that. I have some reflections just in the moment. Um, you know, nothing, nothing final about it, but certainly a lot of curiosity like yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think of an analogy when you ask that. Um, I've been really interested in my dream life um, at different times. Right now I'm in more of an ebb. Sometimes I'm in more of a flow and I'll keep a dream journal and I'll really like go deeply into what's happening in my dream world. And something I've observed over the years that's interesting. um, So dreams are generated, we could say by our own mind, right? So a a psychiatrist will say something like, well, when you dream, you're not, you're every character in the dream. Even if you have a dream that like, Aubrey, you're talking to your mother, you're actually your mother in your dream because you're not talking to your mother, you're talking to your projection of your mother yeah. in your dream, right? Yeah. So what's interesting about that to me is that, like, why should dreams be so surprising then? Like, if I'm my mother and I'm my siblings and I'm, like, my old boss and all these people are showing up in the dream, how come what they're saying is so surprising to me? If, it's, if I'm the one saying it all, shouldn't I know what I'm going to say? So maybe this analogy, I, I, I have this innate sense. I do a lot of teaching and workshops and I have a sense when I'm in an analogy and people are like, okay, you better be getting somewhere with this. Really <laughs> I'm losing my audience. But what I mean to say is like in response to your question, um, I, over time, I've experienced in my prayer life a kind of power of discernment. It's certainly not perfect. It's still, in a, it's still growing and developing but I've noticed a kind of sixth sense I have for like, when is something coming from the little me, like the Mm. neurotic, anxious, fearful. Yeah. Like the part of me that, you know, wants to be in control of the whole program. And when do I say something or feel something in my prayer life that's genuinely surprising to me? That's where I was going with the whole dream analogy. We might have to edit that no, out. No, I get it's just terrible I get podcasting. That. No, I but, get that. Right. Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is like um, when we surprise ourselves in a prayer, that's an indication that something deeper is coming through us, that our prayer life is deepening. And my sense is there's no end to how much that can deepen and how much we can empty ourselves of a kind of like natural man willful rebellious spirit and how much room we can make for the true self like the 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 truest part of ourself to come through in prayer so that's a that's an adventure in and of itself that's interesting and i I wonder do you think do you think it is uh really your true self that's coming through in in those instances where you feel like you know the right uh, things are being expressed, or is that a divine connection? And we we read this in in D and C as well that we can be given the words to pray for, right? So is that yeah. is, is it an openness and becomes sort of a cycle where we're given those things and then reflect them, you know, back toward the divine, or is it something truly internal, you know? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I I love the way you just voiced it. Um, it's the way I heard you ex- express it just now feels really insightful that it's 
as though there's a reciprocity or a giving and taking um, from like our God in heaven to like the God in ourself. It, it's as if like in a deep prayer, God is just talking to God. Mm. And yet mm. there's something vital about that process. It, somehow like, like a mother, like, you know, breastfeeds her child, like maybe God like is in reciprocity with us in prayer, like growing us up and nourishing us. I'm just riffing on what wow. I heard you yeah. say, but it's yeah. quite beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I love that idea. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if we could talk a little bit more about um, just this idea of uncertainty and faith and, yeah. and how, can you just talk about how those two ideas relate in your mind? Because I, I think there's a, I think I sort of absorbed that faith is not having any uncertainty, <laughs> As, you know, in my very like simplistic Right. Like primary kid understanding faith is knowing that the sun will rise and you know, faith is like this foundation and there's no uncertainty and and I've heard you talk about faith in, in a in an almost completely opposite way that faith is this acceptance of uncertainty. So so could you just could you just talk about how how faith affects your prayers and and and, and specifically just sort of how you define faith? Like what what does faith feel like to you? <laughs> When you ask that question, I notice like a low grade panic coming up in me. Like she's asking a question. I have no idea what faith is. Answer so, so, you know, just to be transparent here, um, I know people have asked me in the past what I think about faith. And I know I could refer to past answers, but honestly, in the moment, I'm just feeling that kind of like, uh-oh. <laughs> so, so like maybe in a, as a practice of faith, like we can just kind of sit still with that for a moment. Yeah. Right? Um, and I'm, I'm just going to search myself and see if there's anything. I'm going to refresh my web browser, so to speak, to put it in millennial terms. Um, I, I heard a doctor once describe the way that living cells in the human body actually have no more than a few seconds of oxygen supply and food supply. I've, I have not thought about this in years. I'm, well, I'm a little surprised it's coming up, but he actually, um, he described the state of kind of eternal now that a cell lives in. Um, that like they don't know if they're going to have enough food in the next moment and yet they're vibrant and full of life and creative and generative um so you know in this moment if if the three of us and all those joining us if if we're like cells in a in a human body or some living body faith is something like this trust that my my manna is going to come like i'm I'm going to be fed i i don't know where it's going to come from wow i that just completely resonates with me i love that love that um okay. now, do you have oh go ahead yeah i was um I, i'm gonna try i'm gonna put a thought and try to put it into words here but i feel like there is a way in which um, these different types of prayer maybe could map onto your framework um, of stages of, of adult development as well. Um, I, 
I remember this time of my life, it was probably, you know, a three to four year span when I was, you know, maybe like 22 to 26 and I was graduating college, starting a career. And I was really into entrepreneurship along with several, several of my, my friends at the time. And um, I typify sort of this time in my life. I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the work of Tim Ferriss, but he's like a ultra entrepreneur, just do all the things, solve all the things, achieve all the things. And I was really, really into that, um, at that at that time of my life. And yeah. I look back on that now and don't, don't relate to it as much, but there was something about it and I think, you know, if we were to, if we were going to try and map that onto, onto your framework from your book, that would be maybe like the, the achiever stage, you know? And I, and, and now I like to, you know, it's very hard to say, and I know you say in your book that everyone sort of occupies multiple stages. Sure. Um, at, at different times, but, or, I mean, at all the time, really. Um, but I, I like to think that I've, you know, moved on from that a little bit and I'm not quite as you know mired in that I have to do all the things but like you were saying before at some point you have to get up and give give form you know to right. uh, to whatever it is you can't just you can't just sit and be still and remain open all the time right <laughs> and so I feel like there's a it, and maybe that's sort of like I feel like petitionary prayer you know does go along with sort of that achiever stage in some ways it's like I want to solve this I want to achieve this I want to have this thing change and then, you know, maybe later, later stages maybe are more in that sort of just, uh, in that sort of openness. Yeah. Um, and how do, I mean, I, so I'm curious more generally, and we can relate this back to prayer, but I'm curious too, like <laughs> if, we, if we have a, a, a desire to occupy at least part, partly those later stages, is it yeah. okay to jump, you know, to jump into that, back into that achiever stage and say, I'm, I want to get stuff done. You know, I was recently, yeah. I was getting into a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And it's all about, it's all about, you know, using the force of habit to get a lot of things done. And I was getting so excited about it. And I was like, wait, am I just, am I the same person I was, you know, 12 years ago? And I kind of lost my excitement, but at the same time, I want to, you know, I want to achieve things. And so how do you, I don't know, I'm just going to throw that out there and say, how do you, yeah. how do you tell those things? Yeah, no, I, I love the question. And I hear a lot of insights, even as you're forming the question, um, you know, I, I tend to take a developmental perspective on everything. It just feels, it's not the whole picture, but it's, it's an important part of the picture that um, things are in process and evolving and changing. That's been, you know, one of the major insights of modern intellectual history that um, something like evolution is happening. And so anything we understand, we have to understand not just as a thing fixed, but as a process unfolding. So yes, of course, if you're asking me if you know, we can map prayer to development, I'd say, oh, you bet we can. <laughs> and I, I think the tendency um, you know, in our, I'll just say, I won't get into the jargon of development, but I'll say in young adulthood, I think there's a tendency to be pretty certain that the world is knowable, we can figure it out. Mm -hmm. And therefore God is knowable, we can know who God is. And then as we get a little older, we tend to get more nuanced and say, yeah, we can know who God is, but it's going to take some work. Um, it's not just obvious what is the exact character of God. And, you know, it, it's in, you referred to the achiever stage where, among other things, we're really honing 
in this stage of development where, you know, a lot of people in the modern Western world, they'll, they'll be kind of flirting with or deep in this stage in, with, by their early 20s, mid-20s, just to give people a ballpark. This is a stage where we're really starting to hone our sense of who am I, what do I care about, what do I value, and what am I going to do with this wild, precious gift of a human life? And that shows up in our prayer practice. Like you said, you know, like the achiever energy of I want this, I'm going for this, God help me do this thing that is burning in my heart to do. I, I think there's a lot of value in exploring the whole spectrum of human development and human beings certainly have capacity to grow into gods and goddesses is my sense of it. So we, we don't ever want to get, you know, kind of stuck in a particular way of seeing things because what we know from modern developmental science and what we know from revealed doctrine is that God doesn't intend for us to get stuck in seeing things one way. There's a lot more to be seen no matter how developed or mature we are. That said, healthy development includes really using the very best of all of the gifts of all of the stages that we've progressed through. So, you know, to come back full circle, I would say not only is it okay to have like a quote achiever type prayer where I'm asking for things and I want things and I'm really sincerely opening my heart to God and saying, help me do this. Not only is that okay, I would say it's necessary for optimal development to honor that part of us that we all need to develop through. If we're going to become gods and goddesses, we're going to progress through that particular moment in human life where that energy is, you know, hot and roaring. And we better never leave it behind because that's a part of our wholeness. We, we need that to be whole. Is how wow. I love that. Yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, so it's good news, good. right? So you yeah, don't, no. you, yeah, you, <laughs> you're yeah, good. Yeah. We're all good. We're okay. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that's, I love that. I love that idea. I guess I, before, I mean, before you said that, I had really been thinking of it as leaving a stage, but it's not, it's not mm -hmm. leaving it entirely, right? It is taking, taking at least the best parts of it with you as you, as you progress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's natural to think about it as leaving. Um, but not only are we leaving it, we're, we're nesting it, we're embracing it within a greater context of a greater wholeness and fullness. So, so it's I good hear. news. We, we, we yeah. leave nothing good behind is what I like to yeah. say. Yeah. And I just love the way you're describing that because I, I think I was starting to think that petitionary prayer was always just this like ego driven, like I'm trying to manipulate my life into what feels like a a, like what seems good to me and I, I like this idea that you can still be totally open and and express who you are to God and ask for God's help with these these like deep deep desires that you feel like are almost coming from God you know like I've never I've never thought about how it can you can kind of have it all it's just it's a yeah. way to express that union that you feel with God. That's beautifully said. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly my experience of it, that uh, perhaps God needs us to pray these possibilities into existence. My experience is that when people offer a genuine prayer, it's, it's, it's bringing, it's birthing healing into yeah. the world itself, light and love. And like, we're God's vessels. Like if, if nobody's praying that into the world that, you know, limits yes. what can be born. So, yes. uh, so, so 
yeah, keep praying, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> kind of I, I just, I really love that. That just, yeah. that totally, I've felt that. I know what you mean. And I, and I, that's why it's been such a struggle. Like I felt that kind of power when every once in a while, especially when someone is praying for someone else and there is yeah. just something is happening. And, and so I don't uh, want to let that go. But at the same time, I was like, I'm resisting. Like I, like I need to accept that this is just the situation. And yeah. that, I think that's the missing piece of the puzzle for me. That's what, that's what I, I wasn't totally grasping. So yeah. thank you. I well, really no, love that. Yeah, no, I, you're, thank you. I, I'm, I'm loving this conversation and I, you know, I'm having this impulse right now. I want to kind of turn the tables and interview the interviewers, but the reason I'm saying that is I'm just sensing from what you said, Aubrey, that, you know, prayer is palpable. There's, mm -hmm. to me, you know, anyone can come to whatever conclusions they want, but for me, I feel palpable power when people pray. And yeah. here we are in this conversation about what is prayer, and the question that came up for me as you're speaking is, like, how is this conversation right now that we're having already a prayer? And in what ways can the three of us who are having this conversation have an intention to, to generate that power that we feel through prayer? It's not a question I need any one of the three of us to answer so much as yeah. just like, oh, how does that change our conversation if we hold it as a prayer and an intention to bring something into the world through the conversation? Yeah. Well, one, thing that, one thing that comes to mind for me when you say that is, what what is our what is our motivation in in having this conversation yeah does the ego play a role you know are we or are we doing this uh are we doing this um out of love you know are we serving are we serving in some way the work of love by having this by having this conversation and i think i remember and aubrey i, I may be voicing um a little bit what you were what you were referencing in your comment but we were um, we were in Sunday school a few weeks ago, and one of our ward members had just had just lost his his job, and needed a job. And we uh, we closed the we closed the meeting with a with a prayer. And you know you expect to close it and say you know and please bless us all to travel home safely or whatever. And the um, the woman that gave the prayer, um, in the most sincere way, prayed for this person by name. You know that he would that he would find a job. And there were, you know, 50 whatever people in the room. And I think all of our, all of our hearts were, were united in that, um, in that desire for him to, to find a job. And it was, and that was one of the most, uh, one of the most palp uh, palpable prayers that I've, you know, been a part of for, you know, in, in, the, in my recent, in my recent past. And I think the fact that it, it that prayer was only in the service of love and in some ways, you know, it needed to leave the ego behind, you know, especially on, on his part, you know, that could be something that could be, you could be very self-conscious about. And when, when, when that, um, when that self, I think is, is dropped completely and love replaces it, then, then just about anything we're doing can become prayer-like in a way. That's amazing. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and the other thing that occurred to me was just that there's something about connection in prayer. And I think that's what I've started to value a lot more with contemplative prayer is that, that instead of trying to think of what I'm going to say, it's, I'm really alert to this sort of feeling of connection that I have. 
And I remember you saying something in a Mindfulness Plus episode a long time ago. I don't know which, I wish I could remember what you were even, what the time was. I remember you talking about following your energy. And that was, I think you just gave new language to something we try to talk about. Just, you know, recognizing promptings of the Holy Ghost is maybe more like common language, but something about hearing it phrased, like follow your energy really shifted and I something an idea in my mind and it has made it a lot easier for me to recognize I think where God wants me to go and I I was always tangled up with this question about is it the spirit that's talking to me or is this myself and and when I when the question became follow you know what is my, where is my energy taking me all of those that question just disappeared and it, it was about that I just feel like my feet are already moving in this direction. And so I'm going and, and following that, that kind of just feeling that I had that, that has led me to so many more. Um, I mean, they feel like miracles because it just, it was like things were suddenly in my lap that I didn't know I needed. And, and that has happened over and over again. And I think that I really made it such an intellectual exercise to always decide like, is this, could this, is this the Holy ghost or, is this my something about my brain? And and when I could just put that all aside and just recognize that I feel like my heart is just moving here and just follow that without question, I I just over and over have seen this connection to to people and to God that I've never really experienced before. So I feel that I when you were asking how can it be a prayer, I think that's what prayer feels like to me now. It's just it's this intense connection to like a horizontal connection to people I'm with and in conversation and this, and also this deep connection to something more powerful, which, you know, I think, I think is God. So beautiful. So. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Aubrey. I'm really moved by both of you. Thomas, can I ask you a little bit about fasting? Sure. Yeah. Let's I, go. So Aubrey and I realized, I don't know when it was, maybe a couple of years ago, that fasting had become a, a source of somewhat significant anxiety for, for us both. Um, I think in part because, in part because it's so tangible, and in part because you expect, it's, it's sort of like the, the ultimate way, the ultimate prayer to bring about some sort of change, right? When we think of fasting, it's often with you know, as I say, with a purpose. And often, I mean, often the, the purpose is, is external. And I think often the purpose is, is you know, loving in, in some way. Um, but for us, for me in particular, and Aubrey, you could, you could share how it made you feel too, but often when we would fast for something like that, um, it, would be, it would be the sort of thing where, number one, I guess there, there's that question of like, well, how long am I really fasting? Like, if, you know, church ends at one and I ate at two, did I really do the two meals? And if I, you know, if I didn't, then are we going to get the blessing? And, and, or not we weird. Yeah, well, definitely. But we like, it, like if the, you know, if the person that I'm fasting for isn't blessed in this way, then is it going to be my fault? And did I not enact, did I not have enough faith? Or did I not, you know, come, you know, say my prayer before my prayer after or whatever? And obviously I'm, uh, uh, exaggerating a little bit like this there was it was a little bit more thoughtful than just that but we we decided between me and Aubrey to you know take some some time for our fasts to only be fasts of gratitude and so there was no there was no blessing 
of any kind attached, attached to our fasting. And that seems, and I think this is probably just indicative of a stage that we're in, and I'm not at all by any means saying that this is the way to do it. Um, but it did seem to lift some of that anxiety away, at least for, at least for a time, because there was nothing, there was nothing to be changed. There was nothing um, attached to it. And so I'm, I guess I'm just, I'm throwing that out there and I'm saying, and I'm saying, I'm, I'm curious, what, what are some of the practices that have helped you, um, that have helped you apply fasting to prayer in a way that's, um, that, that, you know, a way, in a way that avoids anxiety and is, and helps you find connection both with God and with, and with others? Yeah, totally. That's an awesome question. I mean, just to reflect back what I heard you say, um, it sounds like there was some anxiety associated. It's almost like, pardon the term, but performance anxiety. Like we're, <laughs> yes. we're going we're gonna to fast and this fast is going to produce something. Yes. And if it fails to produce something, I'm going to feel like, like a failure. Essentially. And so you too like had the inspiration to say, well, let's divorce the fasting from the performance. And now you're back into the sweet spot of, oh, this is actually quite powerful. Is yes. that a fair way to... Exactly, yes. And I, I have the sense that, I mean, I can really relate to that. And I have the sense that everyone listening can as well. Um, for me, uh, I haven't necessarily thought of it this way before, but... Uh, as you were speaking, it occurs to me that fasting is a form of yoga. And if I, if by yoga, I mean it's a physical discipline we undertake to more consciously work with our energy. That can be physical mm -hmm. energy, that can be subtle energy, the energy of spirit, which is particularly relevant in prayer life. So, what I've noticed, um, just in my own life, I do a lot of meditation retreat um, at Lower Lights. Um, I lead a lot of retreats. I spend a lot of time you know, in silence, I guess, compared to an average person. But what I've found over the years is that um, staying hungry at the retreats is really powerful. And this can be difficult because food is like the one comfort we have to like kind of keep it together and feel like we're a little bit in control. You mean staying physically hungry? Yeah, staying physically hungry. Yeah, thank you. That could be interpreted, especially with me speaking. I could be <laughs> saying anything right now. Um, yeah, to just stay a little bit hungry. And what I find just uh, on a very almost, almost like at the level of just basic arithmetic, if my physical energies aren't going towards digestion, they're freed up. It's like, give us wow. a job to do. There's no food in the system. And so I've found that like just staying a little bit hungry actually really gets the fire of my prayer life going in a retreat setting. So, you know, when I, when, you know, the first Sunday of the month rolls around, I get a little bit excited because like that feeling of the fire, like a subtle fire of spirit starting to roar. I, I, I love that quality and it feels like, you know, whatever my intention of where I want to direct that energy is, it's a personal thing. I love what you shared about the gratitude fast. I haven't done that before, but I think I'll try it now. But I, I just love the yoga of stoking that subtle fire and knowing that I don't have to do anything with that fire. If nothing else, but this fire burns a little brighter in the world, the world will feel that heat. It's a good in and of itself to, you know, convert that energy into prayer energy. 
So well, I, love I, hope that that. Doesn't, I hope that doesn't sound too woo for our audience. No, <laughs> great. That was so great. So I would love to ask you, I, I keep thinking of this. I keep thinking about, I think we have a lot of listeners who have experienced a crisis of faith of one kind or another, or, or maybe just have a very close family member who is experiencing that. So, so, and I, I'm just curious if you could talk about prayer in that context, because I think that for a lot of people, the, their most desperate prayers happen during a crisis of faith. And the prayer is just like, please let me know if the church is true. Like I need that one certainty in my life. And so could you just talk about that? And, and yeah, how do you, do you accept uncertainty in that, in that context? Or is that, is that a place where we should keep believing that we're going to receive, you know, receive that, that one answer? Yeah. So just to make sure I understand the question, you know, for, for somebody who's in a faith crisis, faith transition, identity crisis, God crisis, like yeah. how, what role can prayer play in that yeah. situation? Is that, and know, I, I guess I just mean, I, I just feel like for a lot of people, they're, the prayer they're praying every day is just like, is the church true or is there God? Like they just, they want, they want to just have certainty around those questions and 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 i love this idea of openness and and more of a transcendent trust in the context of of our little problems that come and go just believing that your life is taking you in the right place and and just you know trusting god in this even deeper way than than fixing these little problems but but i feel like for a lot of people who are experiencing this sort of deconstruction, like we talked about, they just need that certainty. They just, that is their prayer and that's what they want an answer to. So do you have, have advice around when, when that's what you want so much? I do have advice. I'm going to give advice. I'm going to put on my <laughs> advice giving hat right now. Um, actually something really useful comes to mind. Um, I think we all have an intuitive sense that when, we kind of become too certain about how we view the world, how we view the church, how we view Christ. Um, If we're too certain, there's a kind of rigidity to it. Like Mm -hmm. really deep faith, paradoxically, it needs needs uncertainty and it needs room to grow, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If the uncertainty becomes too great, it feels like, you know, the bottom of the bucket fell out. It's like, well, I have nowhere to stand anymore. It's too much uncertainty. Yeah. And what I've noticed really naturally when people get into kind of the deep end of too much uncertainty, at a very unconscious level, we all have a tendency to like really become certain about the uncertainty, so to speak. In other words, the experience of uncertainty, it's like, I'm uncertain, I'm uncertain, I'm uncertain. And that becomes this new reality. But if we can actually learn to be even like uncertain about our uncertainty. Um, the, the way a meditation teacher of mine phrases it similarly is negate the negation. When, when it feels like life, when it feels like God is like obscuring something that you used to be positive about, don't get too stuck on that negation. Actually, you can like let that live and breathe ironically, we have a lot of certainty about our uncertainty and we start to tell ourselves stories like it's always going to be this way. I'm never going to know. I can't stand not knowing right now. But 
when we learn to really deeply relax, I mean, at a physical level, relax in that uncertainty, and even kind of tune into the subtle level, like the feelings in our heart, the thoughts in our mind, full of uncertainty. If we do that, if we bring a lot of awareness to that inner state, we'll notice that it's actually objectively uncomfortable. It's like, I don't like to feel uncertain. I like to feel certain. So I'll do yeah. anything I can to scramble back towards certainty. But if we recognize the uncertainty as a spiritual window of opportunity opening, and we say, okay, this uncomfortable feeling in my body, in my mind, my heart right now, I'm going to just do what's counter instinctual. I'm going to totally relax into it. And if it wants to get even bigger and more intense, I'm going to let it. And if it wants to shrink and get more subtle, I'm going to let it. I'm just going to let it do what it wants. And when we start to relate to uncertainty on that level, we tend to get an insight of like what's beyond certainty or uncertainty. What's, what, what's the reality behind all of it? Yeah. That, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like there, there's no judgment. It's just like you are feeling this and you are sitting with it and just accepting it completely. I, I mean, what does that look like? I just feel like that is, I feel like there are so many people who just like are rewinding and they're going to listen to that part over and over. <laughs> it is so uncomfortable. Like it is yeah. it's so painful to, to accept that you feel that uncertainty and then to not know if the uncertainty is ever going to go away. And so, right. so can, can you talk about like, what do you do when you wake up in the morning? Like if you're, if you are in that spot where you are just like, it's like the, it makes me think of like the Cruciatus curse. Is that what it is, Tim, on Harry yes. Potter? Like you are, it just feels like it is, you are just tortured by this right. uncomfortable feeling. Or like when you, when you talked about the gravel, like the prickly rocks, like yeah, it feels totally. like that when you just, you, you, you just can't, Stands not knowing and and not knowing what to expect in a year or or even on Sunday. You know, I, I think a lot of people are in that place where it's just so painful to realize that they don't know what they believe anymore. So right. so what what would you what would you prescribe? You know, like yeah. is this a matter of sitting for ten minutes and just and and just accepting that feeling, like you said, or or is it about I don't know. I mean, what what can someone do physically? Or, or in their mind to just help accept that uncertainty and do, do what you're saying, just yeah. lean into it a little bit. Yeah, there's, there's a skillfulness to it for sure. Um, I actually, well, I won't get into like the different models I like to use with students and you know, when I teach, but I, I can describe it in a really simple way that people can try out right now. Okay. Um, if, if you look closely, at this experience of doubt, uncertainty, loss of faith, loss of identity. Actually, on a physical level, it's uncomfortable. We'd rather not mm -hmm. feel that way. We don't, we don't want to feel uncertainty any more than we want to feel nauseous, right? Yeah. If we could take some medicine to make the nausea go away, we will. Mm -hmm. um, but if we look even closer at the uncertainty, um, what we find is that the, the objective sensation in the body and the heart in and of themselves aren't what is so excruciating. It's mm -hmm. actually the sensation that starts to get tangled with and start to cross multiply with stories we have about the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. For example, if I wake up, the moment I wake up and I just feel this like kind of ache in my heart 
And like before I even realize it, a split second later, there's a thought in my mind. I feel totally lost in the world. I feel hopeless. I don't know how I'm going to go on another day. It's actually that narrative that's the excruciating part. But if I can learn to just rest in the simplicity, the nakedness of just the ache in my heart and just stay with that raw sensation and separate out any meaning making about it, even any emotional interpretation. Because when I do this with students, yeah. you know, they'll tell me that they're dying, they're, they cannot handle this amount of suffering. I'll say, well, where is that suffering in your body? I don't know, I feel it ever, I, I really feel it in my chest. It's like, it's right here and they'll point to their chest and they'll say, so what are the sensations? And they'll say, well, it's, it, I feel hopeless and desperate and I'll, I'll stop them there and say, well, is there actually desperation at the level of sensation? And they'll, at that point, they'll like be like, oh man, I hate this guy, I hate when, <laughs> you know. But if I yeah, guide them down, if we go beneath the, the emotional level of interpretation, the narrative yeah. level, and we just get into the rawness of the sensation, and we, we all have the capacity to do this as adults. When we get down to that raw sensation, we say something like, yeah, it feels like there's just like this kind of sour, pinching, aching quality in my chest. And when we get that bare bones, the next question is, well, will that achy, is it so achy that it's going to like collapse your heart physically? Is it going to kill you? And Usually the answer is like, no, it's, it's really intense. It's really uncomfortable. I would rather not be experiencing it, but just as a sensation, I can breathe and I can, I can be with it. Yeah. And as we practice breaking down our wrong ideas about what God ought to be doing for us, and as we get more intimate with the truth of our embodied experience, we start to develop a capacity to communicate with God on a whole new level. And we start to read the signals of our body as you know, new kinds of direction in our spiritual life. And we realize that this heartache was actually given to us as a gift to break through the wrong ideas we had in the first place about life. Mm. And a powerful presence comes through in the most excruciating of, you know, signals in the body and we realize wow i'm actually like at the deepest level i am intelligence i am spacious open freedom and spirit and you know like lehi says to his son in the wilderness which is so touching to me um we have this direct experience that all these things are for our good and my experience of prayer and a life in prayer is that maybe more than anything else, God wants us to know that all these experiences are for our good. And we don't just have to believe that at the level of an idea. We can actually know that in every cell of our body. We can feel experience moment to moment purifying us and sanctifying us and opening up our path to the next step that's consecrated for us. I love that. Wow. Thank you so much. I think that's a I think that's a really good place to wrap up. That was that was just powerful. That was beautiful. Thank yeah. you, Thomas. Yeah, happy to pray with you guys anytime. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, really that was that was incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah, pleasure to be with you too. Thanks for having me on. Mm -hmm.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and we hope you enjoyed it. If you want to support Faith Matters, we'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'd also love a rating on Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube if you feel so inclined. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, you can check out more at faithmatters.org.